This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in your podcast app. I'm going to segue on to um, uh, Miss Judy Bachman and Miss Lisa Rivera, who will be talking about a medical mobility equipment update. So uh, Ms. Bachman is the manager of the medical therapy program of the California Children's Services, City and County of San Francisco. And Ms. Rivera is physical therapist, the CCS medical therapy program, also with City and County of San Francisco. Uh, welcome. Thank you, Dr. Takayama. Um, my name is Lisa Rivera, and I'm gonna start the presentation for us. Um, so we're going to give a medical mobility update for you today. Next slide, please. We have no financial conflicts of interest to disclose. Next slide. So let's start out by talking about what is assistive technology. Assistive technology, or AT, is a really broad term that includes systems, services, and products that promote improved function and independence. Medical mobility equipment, such as wheelchairs, walkers, and standers, are all forms of assistive technology. Next slide, please. AT can be remarkably helpful in many realms. For children with disabilities, AT can enable their communication, mobility, and self-care. It can help the child to explore and access their world. It can enhance their quality of life. Having inadequate or no access to assistive technology can exclude the child from education, health, socialization, civic life, and employment. Next slide. We're now gonna talk about some examples of AT that's used to promote mobility. And what we wanted to state about this is that the presentation is really just a brief overview. This topic could really warrant a long conference to dive deeper into the limitless possibilities. The bottom line is that every client has unique needs and recommendations for equipment must be considered and evaluated carefully. So here on this page is our first category of medical mobility equipment, which is standers. Um, standing is very important for strengthening, for bone density, range of motion, respiratory and GI functions, pressure relief, and social interactions. Standers may require customized supports in order to tailor them to the client's specific positioning needs. Often a child may need to wear their foot orthotics to promote good weight bearing while they're in their stander. So some examples of the standards um, shown on the screen in the top portion is a sit to stand stander. This type of standard might be considered for a client who can transfer into the device in a seated position and then can move into the standing position. And oftentimes clients can do this on their own. You can see the handle um, on the standard. They can pump the handle and move themselves into a standing position, which is really cool for independence. The upright standard positioned in the bottom left might be considered for a client who demonstrates some weight-bearing skills, but might fatigue quickly or require additional supports to stand with good alignment for an extended period of time. The supine standard in the bottom right um, is a standard that might be considered for a more physically involved client who has limited to no ability to accept weight through their legs. Often these clients will require dependent transfers into the device. Next slide, please. Here's some more standards to show. The mobile standard in the top left corner. This type of standard will allow a child to have self-directed mobility 
in an upright standing position. They also have to have the upper extremity control and the cognitive skills to be able to negotiate, but can be a really cool opportunity to be eye to eye with peers and play. The abduction stander on the top right, this type of stander provides abduction range of motion, which is needed for functional skills. If use is started early on, um, this can be an adjunct to help um, minimize the development of hip dysplasia. And I've seen this personally work with some of my clients. The prone stander in the bottom left is a type of stander that might be considered to promote upper extremity weight bearing and even help to develop head control. And the dynamic stander in the bottom uh, right corner, this type of stander allows a rocking motion and the dynamic weight shifting helps to build improved head and trunk control, which is needed for independent sitting, standing, and gait. Next slide, please. The next category of um, equipment that we're gonna talk about is for upright mobility. And one of those is walkers. Uh, when will my child walk? That's a frequent question that we hear as therapists from parents. Walking is a huge milestone. Self-directed mobility helps the clients to access their world. It's important. Some walker considerations might include the size of the client, the size of the walker. Where will the walker be used? Will it fit in the child's living room and can they move it around in there? Will it be used on indoor smooth surfaces like in a school hallway? Or will it be used outdoor on cement and grass? Will it be able to fold to go into the car for transport? So looking at these two examples on the screen, the example on the left is a really common one, which you may have seen with our clients. It's a wheeled reverse walker. This type of walker promotes upright posture. It's open in the front, which allows the child to walk up to a surface and engage with peers or a surface without a barrier in front of them. The wheeled walker pictured on the right with platforms, um, platform supports, this style of walker offers more extremity and trunk support for clients who need it. It can also be modified with special hand grips. Next slide, please. Next slide, please. Thank you. Um, this type of, um, this is a gait trainer, images of gait trainers. This is another style of um, upright mobility devices. A gait trainer um, is a tool that can support, support part of the body weight of the child, which will make stepping easier for them. It's intended to be part of a progression to a less supportive device, such as the one shown on the previous screen. Um, these devices can range from fairly simple ones to very complicated uh, robotic systems that have assist for weight bearing and stepping. To qualify for funding for these devices, Medi-Cal requires that clients be able to move the device in a purposeful manner, bear some weight, and take steps. These devices can be large and heavy, so storage, space to maneuver, and transport are all issues that we need to consider. Next slide, please. Canes and crutches are also upright mobility aids, obviously less supportive than the styles shown on previous slides. The hope is that kids can progress to a less and less supportive device over time. For example, someone may start with a gait trainer, progress to a reverse walker, and then to a quad cane, and then might be walking on their own. However, the reality is, is that some kids are more impaired or they change over time, and they may require more support as they get bigger and heavier. Some specific considerations for canes and crutches might be, can they be carried on a wheelchair for part-time ambulators? Next slide, please. 
Another category of mobility equipment is seated mobility, and strollers is one of those types of pieces of equipment. Strollers are often more lightweight and easier to transport than wheelchairs. They don't allow the client to self-propel, however. Families often will prefer strollers to wheelchairs because they don't look as medical. However, strollers may not offer enough support and comfort for all-day use. It may be desirable to have a manual wheelchair with custom seating supports for longer periods of sitting and also to have a lightweight stroller for quick trips. It can be difficult to fund both a stroller and a wheelchair. One may be provided through the insurance and the other may have to be provided through alternative funding options. Um, one consideration for a stroller for kids that use augmentative communication devices for their, for their communication is that strollers don't mount communication devices. So it might limit the client's ability to communicate. Next slide, please. Manual wheelchairs um, is another item in the seated mobility category. Um, the options here are limitless. What we recommend really depends on the need. Things to consider include capacity for growth, durability, frequency, frequency limits for insurance, the terrain it's going to be used on, storage, stairs, the client's ability to propel, transfer, and shift their own weight for pressure relief. Some manual wheelchairs can be fitted with a power assist device, which will essentially make the manual wheelchair into a very light power, power chair. This power accessory feature can help the client to propel the wheelchair, which will pr protect the client's body from overuse injury over time. Another thing to consider is that many families don't have adapted vans to transport power chairs. So the power assist option might be um, something to consider in this situation. So looking at the images on the screen here for these manual chairs, um, the standard manual wheelchair pictured in the top left, um, this type of chair is very easy to fold. It has very limited positioning features, and it's really lightweight, and that might meet the needs of some clients. The sport wheelchair pictured in the top center, um, these typically are ultra lightweight made of materials such as titanium. Um, they're very easy to propel, and they're typically used with active clients who have good upper extremity and trunk control. The picture on the top in the far right is demonstrating custom seating. Uh, wheelchairs can be outfitted with custom seating to meet the positioning needs of the client. For example, they might have special headrests, trunk lateral supports, a specialized seat cushion, an abduction pummel, specific types of wheels and brakes. The options are limitless, honestly. And two features that we wanted to share were also um, the tilt and space feature pictured on the bottom left. So this type of feature is used for clients to help them with weight shifting for pressure relief for clients who can't do it on their own. Um, this feature is important to help prevent pressure sores and it can also help with upright head control. The re recline feature, which is pictured in the bottom uh, right, um, this type of feature differs from tilt. Tilt is where the whole seat and back move together as a unit. Um, with recline, only the backrest moves backwards. Um, what I've found in my practice is that this feature can be really helpful for larger clients to manage toileting and hygiene issues in the community. When the backrest is reclined, the caregiver has a surface to perform the needed toileting and hygiene activities. They could maybe go into a large accessible stall in the community or perhaps do it in the family's adapted vehicle. Next slide, please. Um, power mobility is another, um, another mobility option in the seated mobility category. 
Um, power mobility has been shown to be beneficial as early as possible, like really early between one and two years of age. Um, it encourages cognitive and visual development. It's a mean to expand access and participation, but it doesn't replace walking for clients who are able. To safely use a power chair, a client must show the ability to drive safely. They have to have the cognitive, visual, and motor control skills needed. The functional benefit of each requested feature on a power chair and other pieces of equipment must be justified by um, have a, a justifiable uh, functional benefit in order to have the insurance authorize it. The costs of some of these power wheelchairs with custom seating and features can be upwards of $50,000. I mean, at $50,000, it's crazy, more than, more than my car. Some high-tech models will include safety features, um, such as stop sensors that can prevent you from driving off a curb or will stop immediately for obstacles. Um, some clients need time to practice, months or years before they can demonstrate the needed skills to qualify for the purchase of a power chair. And in these circumstances, we might borrow a loaner chair from the vendor or obtain um, a recycled piece of equipment through another source to be able to do the needed training. So on the screen, you can see some um, pictures of different kinds of power mobility. The top left, you can see a little one um, exploring um, their environment, a nice open environment to start learning power mobility skills. Um, the photo on the top right is a typical pediatric wheelchair that you might see with our clients. It has the possibility to have custom seating on it. It has a joystick control. And on the bottom, um, what it shows is kind of like the Cadillac of all wheelchairs, of all power wheelchairs. This chair has multi-electronic positioning features, um, which can take the, the client through sitting to a seat elevated position, to a full layout position, a tilted position, a standing position, and a reclined position. It's really um, great for promoting functional independence for those appropriate clients. Next slide, please. Just really quickly, there are some adaptations that we can do on power wheelchairs, um, the controls to modify them to improve the client's ability to access and independently operate the device. For example, there can be specialized joysticks, um, different kinds of sip and puff controls where the, where the client uses their, their breath control to operate the chair, um, head controls, or even foot controls. The electronics can also be adjusted to accommodate for difficulties in targeting and motor control. So this is just kind of scratching the surface of equipment. I'm gonna turn over the presentation now to Judy Bachman, who's gonna share a little bit more about the process to obtain medical mobility equipment and then some equity issues that we need to consider. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Um, I do have to say when Dr. Takayama asked us to address this topic, Literally, it, we could have done a five full day training just presenting the equipment. There's so much out there and so many things to consider. So we really are just giving you some things to think about. So who would benefit from assisted mobility devices? Pretty much anybody that has um, difficulty with mobility. It could be short term, long term. Um, it can be a a simple chair or something uh, customized and, and very elaborate. And, you know, the need for mobility devices crosses many, many diagnoses and conditions. So next slide. Um, how is a device selected? And this is, this is the key to the whole thing, getting the right piece of equipment to meet the need. 
um, depending on the system that you're working in, the process can look completely different. Some start with a an order from a physician. Some start with an evaluation by a vendor or a therapist. Um, even within obtaining a prescription uh, from the doctor, some want it from a particular doctor, primary care doctor. With CCS, it has to be a doctor who um, is paneled, which essentially means they've um, shown that they have specialized in pediatrics, have experience in pediatrics, um, and a face-to-face -face visit with a physician report is often required to help justify the need for the equipment. The next slide, how is it selected? The evaluation is the most important part. You have to really work with the client and the family and figure out what do they want to accomplish? What's their plan for using the device? What's their plan for storing the device? How do they plan to transport it? Um, it's really important to get all that sorted out before you go, oh, I saw this really cool wheelchair I think you would like. Um, it really has to meet the family's needs. And it doesn't always have to be the Cadillac. Sometimes off-the-shelf equipment is just fine for somebody who only wants a chair for, um, you know, an occasional community outing and they're able to ambulate, but maybe just not the longer distances. A standard um, wheelchair is going to meet that need and it's lightweight and it's easy to fold and put in the trunk of the car. Um, so it's important to really look at what the need is and how they plan on using it. For Medi-Cal and Medicare, it's important to look at what is the least costly item that'll meet the need. So again, you don't want to go straight to the Cadillac. You want to find what the need is and what'll meet that need. Um, for most insurances, um, you have to justify the need for the device, not just for the device, but for each specific function. So if you if you want the tilt-in space, if you want the recline, if you want the sit-to-stand, if you need electric elevating footrests to help with um, lower leg edema, everything has to have a justification, each piece that you're asking for. And it's important to look at how the device is going to be used and where um, will it work in the school environment and at home. And we don't want to get something that, like Lisa was saying, doesn't fit in the living room or can't be used or that the family can't get up the stairs uh, safely you have to look at where it's going to be used so that it'll be successful. Next slide. So another important feature um, most insurance companies have, they call it uh, frequency limitations, and you can only bill on the code for a wheelchair every so many years. Um, for adults, Medicare, I know, expects an adult wheelchair to last for seven years. Obviously, that's ridiculous for a child. And fortunately, um, the frequency limitations are, are more lenient. But I do think it's important to take growth into um, consideration. You want to pick a wheelchair for a child that has the potential to grow. And that means it can get wider. The seat can get longer. Sometimes there's a growth kit that actually makes the frame of the chair bigger. And it's an important consideration um, rather than getting something that's only going to serve the kid for a few months before they grow. And we often see kids who are having uh, trouble with feeding and then they get their G-tube and all of a sudden they go up two sizes in a wheelchair. Um, you have to plan ahead for things like that if you know that's coming. Next slide. So then what, the process, completely different in every single situation. I can't give you a, this is exactly how it'll go. But things that come up repeatedly are letters of medical necessity, prescription from the doctor, um, specific evaluations for 
for some insurance companies. We have one company that requires a very specific um, wheelchair evaluation that's 12 pages long. It's it's kind of crazy what everybody decides that they need. Um, then you move on to the order and delivery part. And there can be several months delay at this point to give you a realistic expectation. They have to process, you have to get all that paperwork together, then it has to be processed, then they have to order, and then the chair has to be, or the equipment has to be fabricated. At this point, we're having supply chain issues, um, pandemic related, and then personnel shortage. Um, you have to have people available to do all of this work. And all of this contributes to delays in getting the equipment. I think it's really wonderful. It's not always necessary, but for more complex cases, if you can have a PT or OT participate during the delivery of the chair to make sure that it's set up properly. Um, and then know that after it shows up and you think you've got it all done, something's going to need to be changed. Oh, they should have a, a bigger lateral or the headrest doesn't go up high enough or the armrest won't fit under the table. All those things that you start when you get the chair in its real life situation, you start seeing what needs to be changed. Um, it's also important that the family and client be trained in how to use it, how to fold it, transport it, maintain it, so that it stays in good working order. Next slide. Equity issues. This gets so tricky. In a perfect world, I would say every client gets the exact piece of equipment that will meet their needs the best, but I really feel like that's um, not the case. Sometimes clients have no insurance or the insurance will not cover a particular item. In that case, you have to be ready to take, um, take on the appeal process with the insurance. Um, some of our clients, um, if you have a Medi-Cal client, have the option to access funding through EPSDT. It's for pediatrics and the uh, requirements in that are a bit more lenient than the regular uh, Medi-Cal requirements. Um, you have to work with the insurance company to find out if that is, is something to, to use as a resource. If you've tried all the insurance options, you've tried your appeal, you've talked to the um, approval folks and you can't make it work, then you have to look outside of insurance. So some folks are able to pay out of pocket, not everyone. Um, Lisa is particularly skilled at finding other funding sources. So regional center often steps up and helps fund equipment. Philanthropic organizations often help. Um, diagnosis specific groups like Muscular Dystrophy Association may be helpful. Um, GoFundMe pages, church organizations. Um, locally, we have used Variety Children's Charities and um, Native Daughters. So there's, I think, depending on where you are, there's different um, agencies to approach, but but it's it takes some legwork to make that happen. Um, another equity issue is the the family doesn't know what they need, they don't know what's available, and the commitment and capacity to use is a huge issue. So it doesn't do any good for us to throw a fifty thousand dollar fancy power chair. To a client, if the family is going to store it on the porch and they don't have a safe place to keep it, they don't plan on taking it in the house because it gets the carpets dirty, um, they don't have a way to transport it, there's a whole lot of um, limitations. We have families that would love to have equipment, but they're homeless and can't use the equipment in the homeless shelter or um, 
there's so many things to consider. The next slide. So advocacy, sometimes you have to really fight for this stuff. You have to take the time to learn what the process is to get it approved, and then you have to be ready to fight. Um, I hate to set people up for a fight, but it's it's true. You have to be savvy about these things. Um, I want to talk just for a minute about ATPs, assistive technology professionals. They work at these uh, DME provider organizations, and not every DME provider has ATPs on staff. So um, an ATP knows a lot about equipment. They know a lot about the kids, about how to look at um, positioning and is a scoliosis impacting their, their positioning needs. Um, if you call a vendor that does not use ATPs, they're going to piece together something using bits and pieces off the shelf and you don't know what you're going to get. There's usually not a thorough evaluation process. And for some things that works out fine. So if you think uh, total hip replacement, where you need a very basic commode chair and a very basic walker, any vendor can send those out to the house and you're set. That's not a problem at all. But, you know, recently I had a um, two-year-old that had no head or trunk control and when they left the hospital, a vendor was contacted and was told that they needed a commode chair, and they sent out a standard adult commode chair for a two-year-old that can't sit up. So it was not a good match. It hadn't been well evaluated or thought out. And it's really important to get knowledgeable people involved when there are very specific needs. Um, again, sometimes standard equipment is fine and ATP is not necessary, but when you need them, you really do need them. So another thing that contributes to equity is um, there's just a varying skill set and varying knowledge base for professionals about DME. So the family may not know what their options are, or what they need, but if the professionals don't know, then you're really missing out on some opportunities. So, you know, you've got so many people involved, PTs, OTs, doctors, DME vendors, discharge planners, um, regional center service coordinators. And if they don't know the equipment and the options, the patients are not necessarily going to get exactly what they need. Varying documentation skills. Again, I, I'll point to Lisa. She can write a justification letter that will get anything funded. Um, other people don't have that skill set. So <laughs> she's very good at that. And again, to look at the living situation. Our families don't have equitable living situations. and. So they're not going to have equitable access to equipment sometimes. Do they rent their home versus own their home? So they can't make modifications to the building. Um, maybe they want to use a piece of equipment. We have like a stair climber that'll lift a wheelchair up a set of stairs. But you really do need two people to use it safely most of the time. And if you don't have two people, it may not be the right piece of equipment for you. Um, storage and rental becomes a huge issue and commitment to use. So next slide. Oh, I made it to the end. So these are just some helpful resources for you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.